News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, this morning, you are probably, hopefully, seeing some gas prices lower than what you have seen in recent days. I know I saw $1.99.9 coming into work today. You may still see some places that are above $2 a liter, but gas prices should be coming down today over the next couple of days, maybe by a few more cents. It has been whiplash the last few weeks, just watching the way prices have gone up, up and up. And of course, in BC, right here in Metro Vancouver in particular, we are paying the highest gas prices in the country. I saw some places, you know, 214.9, which just seemed unreal even a few short weeks ago. So when will the prices go down more? What is leading to this, you know, roller coaster ride of prices? Joining us now is Roger McKnight, the Chief Petroleum Analyst with NPRO International. Roger, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. This has been quite a ride the last few weeks. Can you explain to us why we're seeing this? Well, there, there's two factors, really. But, well, the biggest one is the Ukraine-Russian war, where, whereby uh, President Biden announced that he's uh, cutting off imports of Russian oil. That sent the market a little bit crazy because they felt this was a, a rather major move, in my opinion. It, it isn't that much of a big deal because I don't think uh, the Americans really import that much uh, Russian crude anywhere. It works out to all of 200,000 barrels a day, and the, the U.S. refines 15 million barrels a day so I don't see uh, a lot of it was emotion a lot of it was speculation so uh, when that sort of settled down a bit uh, then prices started to uh, calm down and then it was announced that uh, the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia said they would be they could and would and should and will uh, replace that uh, Russian oil and so things came back to normal so prices prices jumped on on one side of the story and, and and plummeting on the other side of the story which is what's happening right now so how much of this then and, and you kind of used a bit of this is how much of this is the market just being emotional and speculating um, I think uh, I would put it at a 70 30 speculating right now um, but the, the, the problem is you can't really read the, the mind of, uh, of Vladimir Putin, and nobody can. I don't know if he can even read it. So it's very difficult to forecast prices with any absolute degree of accuracy. All I can do is uh, I know what's going to happen in the very near future. Vancouver prices should actually go below uh, below $2 a barrel, uh, $2 a barrel, $2 a, a liter uh, over the weekend. As a matter of fact, they should fall another they should have fallen 14 cents, and they're going to fall another another five in Vancouver area over the weekend. So that will put you below $2 a liter. Right. And the magic word there being should, because I think, as we know, Roger, <laughs> they're very quick to put the prices up, but a lot slower sometimes to put those prices down, aren't they? Yeah, that that happens, especially in in the in western part, of, from Thunder Bay west to the lower mainland and northern interior B.C., uh, t- they tend to follow the price of crude, and crude tends to be a little bit slower on the uptake uh, uh, and s- so far as information getting to the retailer is concerned, or the refiner in this case is concerned. And the East, it's almost, it's 24 hours later, the price has changed either up or down. It's it's very volatile and deep. But the West, it seems to be, a, there's a little bit of a, a lag period go- coming down and not so much of a lag period going up. So I guess you're paying the penalty of ha- having only one refinery in, in British Columbia, I mean, uh, uh, the alternative is to have to bring it in from Washington, Oregon, and California. So 
there's very little you can do about that. That's true. What um, what do you see happening over the next few weeks then, Roger? Um, it's, it's really, I, I, let's assume, let's make a big assumption here. Let's assume that this invasion, this, you know, this problem with Russia and Ukraine all of a sudden doesn't exist anymore. If that happens, then we go right back to where we were before the war, where we look at supply and demand situation, the, the pretty boring conversation that is. But if we go back to that situation, then we're right back to where we were about three weeks ago, because the, the inventories are of crude oil in the United States, uh, the latest figures, they're 13% below the five-year average. I know numbers don't work well on radio, but here we go. <laughs> no, it's good for an explanation. I like it. Uh, they're 13% below the five-year That's below the five-year average. That's that's insane, okay? Then we look at the demand side of the teeter-totter. We've got gasoline demand is up 7.5%. we got jet fuel up 35%. So the teeter-totter is way out of uh, way out of totter. So if the war ended, the invasion, dispute, or whatever you want to call this thing, ended today, we'd be right back where we were about three weeks ago, and prices would continue to, to rise again. So it almost seems like the industry was caught off guard by the increasing demand of people going back to work and wanting to travel again. Exactly. People got fed up, I'm fed up, with uh, sitting in my basement or my living room looking out the window uh, for the last three years, and all of a sudden uh, the, the vaccination program seemed, seemed to be working. People got peeked out the corner, out, out their curtain, uh, peeked out the door and said, hey, this looks pretty good. I'm going to get in my car and drive to work, and I'm going to get in my car and drive to the airport. And so demand just went through the roof. I've never seen, seen anything like it. So uh, that's what's happened. Okay, so then in the next six months, will the industry, do you think, respond to that? Will it kind of right that ship? Um, I, don't, I don't know. Um, uh, the shale oil industry in, in the United States was the savior. They could turn, turn the tap on and off and you know, provide more crude o- almost overnight. But with an with a anti-fossil fuel uh, president in, in charge right now, there's, there's not been much encouragement in the, for more exploration or production in the, in the shale oil side. That goes for, for all forms of crude. So uh, I don't know. It seems uh, I don't think the industry is, or investors or shareholders are willing to pour more money or more of their, of their money into investment in, in the fossil fuel industry, generally speaking. So even though then, Roger, prices are going back down a little bit, where do you think they will settle at for the next little while? Yeah, you're looking, you don't tell me you're asking for an exact number. <laughs> no, no. Don't, I'm don't, asking don't. for a roundabout number. Like, will we stay below $2 a litre, do you think, or will they yes, creep back yeah. up? I think it'll stay two, uh, below $2 a, a litre. There's, there's a lot of political pressure must be going on in B.C. right now. Um, I'm sure something could be done with the tax structure if everybody beat the drum a little bit harder. That that's true right across the country, not in the lower, not just in the lower mainland. Oh, interesting. So you think maybe politically that was unsustainable for these companies to keep it above two dollars a liter because there's that psychological thing, and people were very upset about it. Yeah, if you, if they starts if if, if uh, you know, demand destruction starts hit because the price of the pump is too intimidating. Then uh, the oil companies start uh, to think a little bit, and the governments too, because the only people I never hear any complaints from when prices go up are federal and provincial governments because of the blessed HST. The HST is a percent. It isn't a fixed rate. So the higher the price goes up, the more the HST goes into the general coffers. 
right. like that. Except not in BC, right? Because we don't uh, have that combined tax. Right. Well, uh, generally speaking, it's 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 a it's a form of tax. Any any tax that's a percentage doesn't work out very good for the consumer. Right. So you say, okay, well, you know what? I'll take some relief out of that, Roger. Listen, thanks so much for the analysis this morning. You're very welcome. Take care now. You too. That's Roger McKnight, Chief Petroleum Analyst with NPRO International. So yes, you know, according to Roger and others, that we will be seeing a bit of relief. You might be starting to see it this morning uh, with gas prices in some areas going below $2 a litre. And he's saying another maybe four cents or so over the weekend. So hopefully in some areas, it'll get us down to maybe $1.90. Who knows? A month ago, nobody would have thought that was a bargain. And now we do, right? That's just the way it goes. Simi at cknw.com if you want to. This is Mornings with Simi. Big change for British Columbia today. I'm not just talking about the change in gas prices. I'm talking, of course, about the end of the mandatory mask mandate. That went into effect at 12.01 this morning. And Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry, though, has been clear on this, saying that if businesses want to keep a mask mandate in place on their own, they are more than welcome to do that. I'm also asking you this morning if this is something you're going to continue doing for your own sense of um, health and safety. Or do you think, you know what, I'm only going to wear it unless I go into a business that tells me I have to. Keep in mind, airports flying you still have to wear it there. That's a federally regulated facility as opposed to a provincially regulated one. Now, this, of course, also makes us think about transit. So is transit going to continue to require masks? Will TransLink be ditching their mask policy? Here's what TransLink spokesperson Jill Drews has to say. Well, we're going to defer to the experts here on this and align ourselves with the public health officers or provincial health officers' uh, decisions. So that means um, as of midnight, masks are no longer mandatory on most public transit services in Metro Vancouver. Okay, that's TransLink spokesperson Jill Drew. So that means that if you'd commute via transit and this morning you're getting on transit, you will see people not wearing masks. Now, she was asked also, as to why they are ditching the masks, even if there are concerned riders. And here's what she said. Well, we definitely understand it's been a weird two years and there may be some varying levels of comfort with being without a mask or with a mask. So we welcome people on the system to continue wearing masks. If that's what making is making you comfortable, absolutely continue to do so. Okay, that's important then for commuters who take transit. If you still want to wear yours, absolutely still wear yours. But does this mean that TransLink is ignoring any kind of safety concerns? Because according to Jill Drews, there are still safety measures in place. Absolutely. We've been we've implemented and been going through a very rigorous cleaning routine on all of our services since the pandemic began. We also make sure that our vessels and our vehicles are well ventilated to allow good air transfer and airflow throughout and, you know, the public, uh, the provincial health officer notes that public transit is a very low risk. It's a low risk activity when it comes to where we are at the pandemic. And we do take these concerns seriously, but we want our customers to know it's safe to wear a mask or not wear a mask on transit, according to the health officer. And we're going to defer to her her judgment. Again, that's Jill Drews, TransLink spokesperson. So in the two years now since the pandemic started, we know that TransLink has really taken a hit in terms of ridership, people using transit. Where are they now in terms of ridership? 
Well, it's definitely been a challenging two years. Uh, ridership was extremely low at the beginning of the pandemic as we kind of didn't, I feel like as a society, really know what to do with ourselves. Everybody stayed home and didn't travel anywhere. But we have seen some good recovery um, since then. We're now at 67% ridership compared to before the pandemic. And we expect that ridership will hit about 80% by the fall, sort of late 2022. Um, it's a new normal and we're adjusting to it. Uh, there is still, you know, the issue of a funding gap. We appreciate the help we've had from our provincial and federal partners, but there's still some work to do there to ensure that we can continue to keep the transit system whole. Okay, and I do wonder if gas prices are going to make people get back on transit too. I guess we'll have to wait a couple of months and see. This is Mornings with Simi. Changes in BC today, and the question I'm asking you is, how are you feeling about that? Are you still going to wear a mask? Are you comfortable just taking it off everywhere now, especially on transit and things like that? Or or do you think, you know what, I don't know, for me, I'm going to keep wearing one. I'd love to hear from you on this, simi at cknw.com. Getting some great responses. We'll talk more about those. Right now, we're going to discuss the school situation. So the guidelines have also changed for schools. We heard from Dr. Henry that masks will no longer be required in all school settings once students return from spring break. So how are teachers feeling about that? Joining us now is Jatinder Burr, who's the president of the Surrey Teachers Association. Good morning, Jatinder. Good morning, Sibi. How are teachers feeling about this in Surrey? You know, I think it's a mixed bag of feelings. Uh, so just as you said, just coming in that, you know, I think people, uh, it's going to be a transition. And so for some, uh, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, welcome. And for others, I think there's still some hesitation, obviously. So what is going to be, do you think, the recommendation for teachers? I mean, they don't have to wear a mask. Do you think some of them might still want to? I do. I do believe that, um, you know, we do have immune compromised folks in the school building, including teachers and our children. And so uh, they will have personal choices to decide for themselves what works. A transition is needed. I think really the bottom line is also, you know, in order to move on, we really need to ensure that folks are being compassionate with each other. They understand. And that culture of mask wearing is okay. And lots of folks have different uh, rationale for it. Uh, For myself, especially in public spaces, like you, Simi, I think, indeed, I will continue to wear the mask. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be up to every person there. But how do you think this is going to go over with kids? What have teachers been hearing? So, I mean, it's always been a challenge around mask enforcement. And uh, I think that there's going to be a little bit of a confusion, especially in serious schools, because today is still a school day. And so uh, with the messaging that came out yesterday, uh, certainly, you know, you'll you might see more students and adults not wearing their mask uh, because of the confusion. Uh, so when we return back from spring break, um, I'm hoping that, you know, again, folks will have an adjustment period during spring break. But as you know, Simi, uh, that uh, different locals have different spring breaks. And for Surrey, today is our last day. But for other uh, locals around the province, uh, it may be next week. Right. So change is coming pretty soon then for Surrey schools. Um, Jitinder, is there a lot of catching up, do you think, that students and teachers need to do here? Because this, I mean, the pandemic has obviously taken a toll on even in-class learning, hasn't it? Yes, of course. I think the number one priority has to be the mental health of everyone in that school building, our adults as well as our kids. And, you know, also, Simi, I think that 
you know, now that public health has moved it more to the self-management model, you know, that's going to require time and personal choices, right? And at the end of the day, what we still want in schools is really access to N95s if staff and students want to wear them. And we want to continue on with like robust campaigns to increase vaccine uh, vaccination rates for children. You know, also, we want to continue with improvements for ventilation, Simi. We know that ventilation is important. We know our classrooms are um, quite full. So ensuring we still have good ventilation is a priority for us in schools. How much progress has been made towards that, or do we still have a long way to go? You know, I think that, I don't know that we have a long way to go. I still think that absolutely we still uh, need to make improvements. Uh, with the weather hopefully shifting and getting better, we'll be able to open up more windows and doors. But really, class sizes, we've got lots of kids in classrooms. And so, you know, future planning, having smaller classes would be a welcome to all school systems. And also, Cindy, you know what, I can't emphasize this enough, but, you know, as we head backwards, you know, the trauma-informed practices for us and for students. So, you know how we talked about the mental health? That is going to be number one priority. You know, kids need to feel safe. Uh, adults need to feel safe. It has been a difficult uh, pandemic, and we need those supports in place. I'm thinking, you know, kids might have forgotten what, like, regular school is like, given how long this has gone on. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, folks get to see each other's faces and expressions, and, and maybe not for others, because they may choose to wear their masks. And that's okay. Yeah. Is that something that teachers then are also going to have to talk to kids about in the classroom? Absolutely. We will definitely be having those conversations. Teachers continue to, you know, have lessons around um, diverse needs of students. And so this will continue. All right. Well, listen, good luck to Tinder. Thank you for your time this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Cindy. You take care. Appreciate that. Jatinder Burr is the president of the Surrey Teachers Association. And as she pointed out, today is actually the last day before spring break in Surrey. That isn't the case for all other school districts. For some, not all, uh, but it is in Surrey, meaning that when kids are in class today, like that'll be it for the mask mandate when they come back. It'll be a whole new class, the kinds of which they have not seen for a couple of years. But it's an interesting point that some kids might need an adjustment period. They might still want to wear some masks or parents might want their child to still wear masks. And so there's going to be, I think, a lot of discussion about that. But when you think about it, what if kids have just, that has been such a crazy two years for kids, especially those who are in school, uh, you know, mask, no mask, school, at home, school, like actually going to school. It, um, it's been quite a challenging period for them. And let's hope that kids get some sense of normalcy in the months ahead and start to get back to a regular school experience. Run away in, simi at cknw.com. And I'm asking you about masks. How do you feel about this? Like, what is going to be your personal choice when it comes to this? Because that's what it is now. It is your personal choice unless you're going to a business that is going to keep a mask mandate in place. You can email me, simi at cknw.com. Call our buzz line, 604-331-2899. Scott wrote me to say, for the past two years, I have, along with my fellow employees, worn a mask for over 1,800 hours, Scott said, while working. 
keeping the big box store I work at open so people can shop and do household repairs. The fact is, Scott says, there is no cure. They found a vaccine. And most of us in British Columbia did our thing and got vaccinated so our communities were safer. Not a chance, Scott said, that I am taking my mask off and I am not going to justify my mask wearing to anyone. This is Mornings with Simi. All right, the Whitecaps are back at it. Of course, they'll be back in action, but they are heading down to Texas. For more on all of this and how they've been doing, Vanny Sartini joins us now, Vancouver Whitecaps head coach. Good morning, Vanny. Uh, good morning, Simi. How are you? I am good, thank you. Now, first off, let's let's break down what happened last week. I mean, that was a tough tough game you had during New York City FC, but you had the 0-0 draw, or I should say nil-nil, of course. Uh, what worked and what didn't, do you think? Well, I think that, uh, as you said, it was a really, really tough game because, you know, you know, New York, they were the champions last year. They're a very good team. And we were very good uh, uh, tactically to be very organized in our, uh, in our defense. We could have created maybe a couple of chances more, but we're going in the right direction. Hopefully, it's going to start. We're going to start scoring goals from tomorrow. <laughs> yes, one would hope, right? Because you kind of have to do that. Uh, so yeah. you're heading down to play Houston. What do we know about the Houston Dynamo? Well, they have a new coach. Uh, they they changed they're changing a little our their way their way of playing. It's a, it's going to be a kind of different game that we did against New York. New York is a very aggressive team, a very physical team. Houston is more waiting for you to attack and trying to to beat you in the counterattack. So we'll have to be very good when we have the ball, take care take care of business when uh, when we're attacking and uh, not exposing ourselves for the for the counterattack. Okay, so and you've got some you've got some added firepower. You've got uh, Brian White back, right? He was coming back off the bench. Yes, it's uh, finally his injury, like is uh, is done. So it's like uh, uh, it's re- he's recovered. He's not yet ready to play the entire game, but he will be part of the game for sure. Right. So you're how many games are you doing down? And you're going three times down to Texas this year, aren't you? Well, yes, we'll we'll go to Dallas too, and then to Austin. We have they have three Texas team in the, in the league, so it, it's a good thing when we go down. At least, uh, at least it's not uh, July or August when we go there, and it's unbearable yeah. to play. <laughs> March is pleasant to go to. to March is okay. <laughs> now, Vanny, what are the advantages, or are there advantages, of playing on the road? Well, you know, it's uh, the, the huge disadvantage, of course, is the, the long flight that we need to do because it's going to affect a lot the performance in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, your feet, your your, your body is going to respond to a long flight. But uh, uh, there's also a little advantage, to be honest, because you know all the pressure is on the home team, so we can uh, really play free because any we know that any points that we go on the road is kind of a bonus point. So tomorrow, that's our idea that uh, going there and uh, trying to to make this win all right well listen best of luck okay fantastic thank you i'll bring you some uh, warm breeze from houston okay? oh, i hope so we could use that <laughs> thank you vanny have a good trip Bye-bye. Thank you. Steve. That's Vanny Sartini, who's the head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps. They are heading to Texas. It's the first of their three trips to Texas this season. So that means tomorrow they are playing Western Conference 
adversaries, Houston Dynamo FC. That'll be in Houston, of course. And they have the same record as Houston right now. That is zero wins, one loss, and they had one draw. So that's the same record, evenly matched. Let's see what happens. And of course, you can hear Vancouver Whitecaps games on AM 730. This is Mornings with Simi. Let's talk jobs, shall we? Because the new numbers are out from Statistics Canada this morning. That is the Labour Report. Let's find out and talk about how BC did. Joining us now is Ravi Kailan, who's BC's Minister of Jobs, Economic Recovery and Innovation. Good morning. Good morning, Simi. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, you sound like you're in a good mood, which is probably because of these numbers. Uh, I'm in a good mood, uh, and the numbers are very positive. I mean, we're, uh, we've hit below 5% uh, unemployment rate. Uh, we're one of the leaders in the country when it comes to unemployment. And uh, in fact, 84,000 more people working here in British Columbia than were before the pandemic. So very positive news. And it shows that the, the plan that we have in place is, is working. Okay. And where were those jobs? I know that uh, even nationally, we kind of blew past expectations in terms of generating jobs. But here in BC, where are they coming from? Where did we add them? Well, we've been increasing jobs for seven straight months. So the big number increase we saw was in other provinces like Ontario and Quebec because uh, they had a massive drop-off over the last few months. Uh, But the the jobs, it shouldn't be a surprise to people because we're able to open up more. We're seeing hospitality uh, employment uh, increase, uh, manufacturing uh, employment has increased. We saw a slight dip in what we call public administration jobs, but it was very slight. And uh, overall, we saw gains in most of the sectors. And what do you think is going to happen then for the next month? What, what is BC kind of poised for? Well, because we're already, uh, you know, 103% of pre-pandemic employment, uh, you know, the gains uh, now will be slower. If there are gains, it'll be up and down, we expect. I mean, you know, what the big next big step for us will be uh, when the borders open up, because still we have... Uh, we don't have people visiting from the U.S., from other parts of the world. Uh, and so our tourism industry still has uh, some room to grow. And, uh, and with that, it means everybody has an opportunity to grow. And so that will be the next thing we're watching. Uh, and, uh, you know, the number one thing, Simi, I hear from employers, uh, no matter what sector they're from, hospitality, tourism, to tech, to manufacturing, is um, people. We need more people. Uh, you know, employers are ready to hire, um, but they just can't find the people with the right skills to take those employment opportunities. I know that BC has also um, kind of adjusted immigration programs to try to attract more people. How will that help? Yeah, three main focuses for us uh, in in the short term. One, uh, it's critically important is childcare. As the price for childcare drops, we're, you know, we can expect a lot more people to come back into the labor market. That's going to be very important. The skills training uh, that we're doing, the investments we're making, especially around micro-credentials. So short courses that allow people to get the skills they need to take the employment opportunity, that is going to be vitally important. And, and as you highlighted, the immigration. You know, last uh, year, we saw the largest net migration of people from other provinces to British Columbia. Uh, in over 28 years. So people are coming, they see opportunities here, they see the job openings here, but with that comes pressures on on housing and healthcare. And so, you know, there's a lot of work to do. And even though we're in a different place now, historically, we've been in a place where we had uh, more people and not enough jobs. And now we're in a different place. We have more jobs and not enough people. Still, that's a challenge for us 
as we continue to move forward. Right. We have we have more jobs, not enough people, not enough places for people to live if we do yeah. attract all those people. Yeah. And that's why part of the economic plan, uh, we laid out not only what traditionally people see as the economy, where it's like, why don't you give a tax credit to this sector and do this? But really what the economy is and the pandemic has shown us is the economy is healthcare. The economy is, is childcare. The economy is housing and public infrastructure. Uh, and all these things work together to move the economy forward. And that's why we've highlighted it. We're going to need to continue to find uh, new ways to get housing online quick. Uh, and not only in lower mainland, but across the province. And that is the big question. Uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you for having me, Simi. Stay safe. You too. Ravi Kailan, BC's Minister of Jobs, Economic Recovery and Innovation. Talking about BC's employment rate right now, like we, it fell again. So it's at 4.9%. That's the unemployment rate here in BC. That is down from 5.1% the month before. So yes, there are some people going back to work. And that is below what we had during uh, before the pandemic. So BC has improved on its pre-pandemic uh, unemployment numbers there, but still a lot of jobs out there that are available. And I know we talked to the uh, restaurant and food services industry about that just the other day. If you want to weigh in, send me at cknw.com. Also, we've been talking about masks and what your choice is going to be moving forward here about where you're going to wear one and where, or maybe you've decided you're just not going to. Chester wrote me to say, just out and about, some business workers are wearing masks. So those ones with masks I'll wear my mask. No mask at businesses. I will not wear a mask. He said, to me, it is simple common sense. Chester, I like that. You're just going to go with what the business has decided. Easy peasy. I wish we would all be as laid back and respectful of other people's choices on that. Let's hope so. This is Mornings with Simi. Big changes for British Columbia today. As of 12.01 this morning, you no longer were required to wear a face mask in indoor public settings. Now, it's still up to the individual places that you are going to, up to those businesses if they want to continue on with this. But that requirement is no longer there. Individual businesses are being supported by provincial health to require the mask if the owners decide to. But again, double check with your workplace, with the business that you are going to. And for a lot of people, this seemed very sudden. So we thought, let's talk about what led to this decision. Joining us now is Dr. Bonnie Henry, Provincial Health Officer. Dr. Henry, thanks for being back with us. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Could you give us an idea of, of what led to this decision to do that this week? Yeah, so we've been obviously watching things over the last two years, but um, continuing to watch the the patterns of transmission that we're seeing in communities across BC, looking at things like um, the the hospitalizations, uh, people who require critical care, um, absenteeism, and things that uh, that are really really important. As people in BC have really stepped up in a big way, and we have such a high level of immunization that that has meant that the risk has gone down. And we no longer need these broad mandates or or legal orders requiring every single tool to be used all the time. And one of the important ones is we can um, move the the mask wearing to personal choice based on your own risk and where your own uh, situation is. Are you worried at all, though? Because it does feel like we have been here before, right? That we heard Mm -hmm. the same things that we heard yesterday, and then another wave set in. So aren't you worried about that? 
Um, of course, and we're continuing to watch and monitor things, but we're in a different place than we were last summer when we initially removed uh, this tool as well. Although some of the situation was the same in that we had very low transmission. But then again, once we started to see transmission increase again with the, the new variant, at that time it was Delta, we needed to pull these tools back out again. Right now, we are in a very different place in terms of the level of immunity that we have across the population in BC. And that's primarily because people have been vaccinated. And if we think about last summer, we had just got a vaccine for younger children, the 12 to 17 year age group. So we're in a very different place now in terms of that level of immunity that we have for at least the next few months. Right. Clearly, the message has also been that there is some personal responsibility here, that the, the hard and fast rules may be gone, but it's still up to you know personal choices for people. So how do you think we should be behaving right now? What would you like to see the public doing? You know, I, I would like to see us take a step back from some of the rhetoric that's been going on in the last few weeks and really look at, you know, masking is a tool that we've all learned a lot about in the last couple of months and uh, years. And it is one of those things that um, does protect me. We know that. But it also uh, protects those around me. So some people will still need to wear masks and will feel more comfortable wearing masks. And that we need to respect that people will be going at their own pace based on their own situation and their own risk. What kind of rhetoric from the last few weeks? What concerns you? Well, you know, what we've been seeing with some of the convoys and this uh, um, calling people out and, uh, about wearing masks and about other things. So I think right now we have to recognize that we don't always know everybody else's story and that we have important reasons why we might be wearing a mask or taking uh, uh, precautions keeping our group small because of our own risk. So now's the time to, to take a step back and, and recognize that we need to support each other through this phase as well. A few months ago, Dr. Henry, I mean, you were very committed to making sure that all health professionals, you know, were vaccinated, that that was a requirement. That is no longer the case. Are you disappointed by the pushback that you received from the health professional colleges on that? Actually, it's not. The, uh, we are still moving ahead with that. What we're doing is doing it in a more phased uh, approach, and we've been working very closely with the colleges. There were some complications about how to um, get the information, so it, it is still very much um, an important tool. It is incredibly important that we have a level of, of immunization and protection in our healthcare workforce, and so that continues to be a, a very important focus that we have. Um, because we don't know what's going to happen next. And we know that vaccination is a really incredibly important tool that allows us to keep our health system functioning. So are you saying that that's still going to happen, that you've just perhaps slowed down the process a little bit? We're slowing down the process and we're looking at the each individual college and the regulated health professions and uh, taking the appropriate action for each different college. So it is a more complicated process than uh, than initially. So yes, we have the time now because of the, the place that we're in uh, to move ahead with this in a, in a more systematic and thoughtful way. What were some of those complications? Um, things like uh, the colleges didn't all have the ability to collect information on their registrants and their vaccination status. Uh, there's some of the bylaws around um, use of that information, around how what it meant to uh, how they could enforce some of the uh, requirements. 
So at the very least, um, we are going to have a, a public reporting so that people can have informed consent uh, if they go to see a practitioner, uh, whether it's a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner or a, um, you know, a pharmacist, and, and to be able to understand the risk. So we're working through how that will look. So what what do you think the timeline would be for something like that? So for somebody who wants to know, does has my doctor been vaccinated, you foresee a process that we would be able to know that? That's correct. And what is the timeline for that, do you think? Uh, we're working through it in the, the next few weeks and months. So I expect it will be um, into April. So and the other part that I, w- I was really yeah. focusing on was, you know, we wanted to make sure we had all of the options available for people. Um, and we just received, uh, Health Canada just approved a Novavax and Medicago. We were hoping that uh, Novavax, we were expecting it to be available earlier this month, but it looks like it will be till later in the month. So we'll be reaching out, the colleges will be reaching out to individuals um, who aren't vaccinated. One week, you know, the most important thing right now is determining um, exactly how many people we're talking about within each of the colleges. Are you disappointed by the slow kind of uptake on the booster shot? Um, you know, there's a couple of reasons why uh, the booster shots have leveled off. It's been really important, particularly for older people who are more at risk, and we have very high levels in, in those age groups. But uh, we also know that uh, a lot of people who've had two doses have had um, exposure or infection with Omicron, and that that gives a boost. And so I know many people are waiting to give a little bit of a time for their immune system to develop before they get their uh, their booster dose. So it is still increasing, and I do encourage people to, to get that booster dose. We know it makes a big difference in terms of transmission and, uh, and um, strengthening of your immune response. Do you foresee a fourth shot, a second booster down the road? Yeah, that is something that we're actively discussing, looking at the data, um, particularly for people in long-term care and for people who are older um, and uh, whose immune systems aren't as, as strong. And the National Advisory Committee on Immunization is uh, is looking at all of the data around that. I suspect we, we will be recommending a, a fourth dose for certain populations probably not broadly across the, the board, unless we have a, a, a very changed virus at some time in the future. And finally, Dr. Henry, you know, we heard yesterday that there are no more regularly scheduled updates, so we won't be seeing you at a press conference for a little while at least. I know Von Palmer mentioned this morning he probably figured you've done in excess of 300 of them over the last <laughs> couple of years, far more than the vast majority of politicians. How does it feel to get a bit of a break from that? Oh, I'm actually very relieved about that. <laughs> um, obviously, if things change, we'll be uh, making sure that people are informed. Um, but I think uh, I think people are probably um, tired of seeing me on a regular basis anyway. <laughs> well, at least they'd still like to get information. Let's not say they're tired of seeing you. Let's just no. say people <laughs> like to get a lot of information. Uh, listen, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Appreciate that. Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's Provincial Health Officer on the changes to mask mandate rules and what else could be coming down the line.